Hey guys, thanks for checking out our podcast, Affirmative Action. I'm Antoinette Grajeda. So the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo were delayed a year because of COVID, but they finally happened and I've been glued to the TV for the past two weeks. Ever since I was a kid, I've loved watching the Olympics because you could learn about a variety of sports and cultures from around the world that you may not be exposed to otherwise. Now that they're over, I'm struck by how one of the biggest stories of the games isn't what happened, but rather what didn't happen. Simone Biles is a 24-year-old Black gymnast who's been called the GOAT, short for greatest of all time, and with more than 30 Olympic medals and world championships and four signature moves named after her, the title is well-deserved. There was a lot of hype around how many medals, likely gold, she would earn at the Tokyo Olympics, but that conversation quickly changed after she bowed out of the team competition to focus on her mental health. She qualified for all of the individual events, but only competed in the final one, balance beam, where she took home the bronze. It makes for a great story of resilience and the power of the human spirit, but perhaps more importantly, it put a huge spotlight on the mental health of athletes and started a really important conversation. Michael Phelps, a swimmer and the most decorated Olympian of all time, was one of the first to jump into the renewed conversation. He has been open about his struggles with mental health in the past and worked on a documentary produced by HBO Sports called The Weight of Gold. It explores the mental health struggles faced by a variety of Olympians, and I highly recommend it. So now that the games are over, what happens next? How does the conversation and the work continue? Well, today we're going to do our part by speaking to three mental health professionals about mental health among athletes and in the Black community. Joining us is Nicole Eckerd, a licensed professional counselor at Resilience Therapy, a private practice in Jonesboro. Casey Cross, a mental health and performance clinician for the University of Arkansas Razorback Athletics Department. And Amanda Robinson, a licensed associate counselor at Little Rock Counseling and Wellness. Thank you all for joining us today. Casey, I'm going to start with you. So we're going to start with Simone Biles, since that's what kind of prompted this whole thing. So we're going to start there. Um, obviously, her being an elite athlete and the conversations around mental health in that arena with Olympics um, and the ongoing conversation from other Olympians coming forward um, has been very impactful in recent days. But, you know, it can happen to any athlete at any level. It doesn't necessarily have to be the Olympics. So KC, can you tell me a little bit about your work since you do work specifically with it, with athletes and kind of what you do, and then we can kind of go from there into athletes in general, but let's start a little bit with what you do. You know, a lot of people overlook athletes' mental health, and I, I was a college basketball player. My fiance was a softball college player, and this is a conversation that we have all the time. You know, we often get the shut up and dribble mentality from a lot of people, and I think what Simone Biles is is talking about opening up about and honestly a lot of other professional athletes it's something that just about every single athlete has dealt with on on some level and I think hers in particular is 20 times that right like she's kind of got the weight of the world on her right now she's not just a USA gymnast like yes of course there's expectations and pressure from there but she's Simone Biles right like everyone in the world if you know anything about gymnastics or sports you know Simone Biles and I think for her to come out and say, 
I need to do this for me. I need to take a step back. That is some bravery that I've really never seen. It takes a lot of courage to step out of that spotlight, like, you know, kind of the, the Super Bowl of gymnastics and say, I need to take care of myself. And I don't care who's mad. I don't care who's upset. You know, I'm, I'm sure she knew all of these people that have came for her. She knew that was going to come. Right. And she still did it. And I think, you know, I commend her for that because that is that is incredibly hard. I work with athletes every day and, you know, they'll easily say, like, I can't not do this because this person's depending on me or this, you know, this community is expecting this and this and this. And yeah, it's hard. You know, I think back to whenever I played ball, like there were several days that I was just like, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. I'm mentally not in the headspace to do this. And I still had to show up. And I, you know, I still don't know if that was the right thing for me. Honestly, probably not in a lot of those situations, but I never felt like I could take a step back because when you're an athlete, that's the only way that people see you. They don't see you as a mom, a brother, a sister, a, you know, whatever. They only see you as this athlete and they forget that you're still a person, you know, you're still a human dealing with very human things. And Casey, how, how is sort of your job structured in the sense of like, how do you work with your student athletes? Is, is there designated time set aside? Are you more just someone who's available if they need you? What, what does that program, that process look like? Yeah. So I, I think I'm very lucky to work in the department that I work in, um, in my specific office, it's only three of us. It's our director. And then there's one other clinician. She's a social worker. And our director, he is awesome because he lets us decide what we think is going to be best for our clients. And so he gives us the flexibility to come in. You know, if people want to meet before practice at 7 a.m., they can. I don't. I have very clear, clear boundaries on that, but we can. <laughs> um, but if they, you know, if they need to text us for, because, you know, I think with this generation, texting is a little bit easier. So if they need to text and say, hey, can I come in on Friday at this time. Yes, that's the best thing. You know, so I, I try to be very flexible, even if they text me or call the same day and say, hey, can you fit me in? If I have an opening, I'm definitely going to try because their schedules are kind of all over the place. You know, they're trying to fit in classwork, weights, strength, and, uh, excuse me, practice, um, any rehab that they're doing and still have a social life and be a normal 18 to 22 year old kid. So I try to be pretty flexible and just kind of meet them where they are and try to see them whenever I can. And Nicole and Amanda, you've nodded your head a lot in agreement with a lot of what Casey is saying. So I'm going to loop you in. Um, in your practices, do you, I know you're not specifically for athletes, but have you spoken to people who maybe are athletes who are stressed about um, these types of things or uh, along those same lines, what are some other um life events or things that are, are common stressors for people, because I, I think, you know, people are right now very focused on athletes and things like that, but there are other, you know, depending on what your job is, depending on what your hobbies are, you have other arenas where you could be in the same type of stress and it could trigger some mental health issues. Yeah. Um, what I see, or what I've been seeing a lot of is the transition from high school to college. So um, I've got a quite a few on my caseload that they are just struggling. Either they're moving um, from their hometown to a new place or um, some of them did college last year, but everything was shut down. And so now, and I think some, one of my particular clients, she did it online from home. And so now she's moving on campus. And so 
I see a lot of them just struggling with what that's going to look like. How do I make friends? I've been living at home depending on my parents and now I'm having to be more independent. I have these expectations. And then if they are, um, I don't have any that are doing any sports, but if they are doing sports, kind of like Casey said, you know, they're having to now incorporate all these different practices and games on top of classes and studying. And so um, that can be very stressful and um, just coping skills, coping mechanisms are not there. And a lot of times people in general, young people, they don't know when to implement them and they don't know what good ones are. And so they just really struggle with managing all those different transitions of their life, but particularly um, high school to college or um, just relocating for school. Yeah, and I don't have any um, specific experience with working with um, athletes um, or anything like that. It's just that as Casey was talking, I was just sitting here thinking like, man, like this applies in many ways, especially to black people. The fact that we're always, well, oftentimes we're in these positions where we feel like we cannot, we, we cannot stop. We cannot, we cannot because just things are not set up this, in the same way for us. And it's always been the impression that we have to do twice as much and more to even be on the same page. And so as other people, and so in various factors of our life, like we just feel like I cannot, I cannot. And we're always feeling this need to be on overdrive. And so in a very deep way <laughs> that I don't right now have words for, Simone's move was incredibly powerful to say no, like just no. I cannot, and I'm not going to. And the power that she used to say that, even though the world's riding her, riding on her as an athlete, the world's riding on her as a black woman, and for her to stand up and just say no, not not today, I'm done. Um, that was such a powerful move. Yeah, Amanda, the way you did the way you describe that, like the power to say no, like the power of saying no, like that, that struck a chord. Because as soon as you said that in my head, I was like, how many of our ancestors and us as well cannot say no? You know, we cannot say no. And that's, that's yeah, like you said, it's, it's huge for her. Like, you know, if, if we were to say no, it's not going to be on this global scale, but it's still going to feel hard there's still going to be guilt. And yeah, I like, I can't even imagine being in that position and just being like, I will not, you know, I will not do this. Yeah. Yeah. And just the representation, like you said, just being a black woman, so young, her age and normalizing that it's okay. And I think she said something like that in her quote of like, it's okay to, um, to say, no, it's okay. You're not going to be good like you're not going to be able to perform like you need to if you don't if you don't take a break and just um her being able to recognize that in herself when you know that there are probably people saying no keep pushing or it's okay you know 
work harder and the fact that she still decided that I can't I can't keep doing this I have to stop and take care of me first is very very impactful indeed it's a it's a resistance to the system like that's what it is and she took up space that was necessary for her and resisted this capitalistic system that feeds off of us continuing to just drive ourselves in the ground and how beautiful it was to see her recognize where her capacity was and feel like she had the power and used the power to say, I'm operating within my capacity. Just incredibly powerful and beautiful. I don't know how often you all talk about this in your sessions, but I feel like the topic of setting boundaries comes up in every single one of my sessions. And I think this is a fantastic example of someone setting the boundaries like with coaches with the federation with the world and saying this is for me and I, I hope so many young black kids men women whoever like take note of that because I, I, I think I would say 90% of my sessions we hit on that at some point of just how do I set a boundary how do I even recognize what my boundaries are how do I recognize my capacity from day to day and to be able to be flexible in, in making those decisions. So you've hit on this very important topic of setting boundaries, but specifically within the black community where, you know, especially black women may not feel that they are able to say no or say this is good for me because of this idea that you have to work twice as hard to be twice as good, right? So along those lines, if that's one, you know, um, ubiquitous thought within the community, what is the struggle or the thought process behind mental health or even seeking help for mental health? Is there, I mean, in general, I know there is a stigma against it, but is it particularly strong within the black community because of some of these things that you've pointed out about not feeling like you can say no? Um, yeah, I mean, I just even personal experience, but probably about 90% of my clientele are, um, are black people and um, they just kind of have this idea that like they can't get help or they don't need help because they're supposed to be strong like they're supposed to just figure it out that's what mama told them that's what daddy told them figure it out you know you can't depend on people um, suck it up a lot of the oh my gosh just trauma what happens in this house stays in this house just all of the things that um, black communities are told that live throughout generations, you know, not seeing emotion expressed, things not being communicated. Um, some of my clients that I work with, because they are in therapy, they're starting to um, find out just like secrets and just things that just have gone throughout their family that they had no idea because everything was just kept secret. And so um, yeah, I just think this idea, this false reality that um, Black people can keep on going and keep pushing and everything's going to be fine um, is very, very apparent. And um, I'm glad, like, just like we just talked about earlier, that um, she decided to stand up and, and break that. Uh, I'm glad about that. You know, I, I think one of the best things about black people is that we are incredibly resilient. I also think that's 
probably one of our worst traits because we we do show that resiliency. And I mean, through generation after generation after generation, Black people are incredibly resilient. And so I think we see ourselves that way and the world sees ourselves that way and we should never have a weak moment. And, you know, we're all still humans, right? Like, of course, just because we are resilient doesn't mean that we can't struggle with things, doesn't mean that we can't or that we don't experience certain emotions. And, you know, like Nicole was saying, you know, so many of us are brought up in households that whatever goes on in this house stays in this house. You don't go and tell a teacher, you don't go and tell a school counselor, you don't go and tell anyone. And if there's a problem, we're going to take it to the church. We're going to pray about it. Like that's as far as outside of this nuclear family as it's going to go. And it's not fair. You know, it's not fair for any of us. And I, I love to see, you know, these younger generations. And I'm, I'm going to include any, I'd include the generation from 40 on down. I, I do see us talking about mental health a lot more. I do see people willing to open up and say, yeah, I'm in therapy. You know, I'm working on myself. I'm trying to heal. And I think the more that we have those conversations with friends, with you know, people in our circles, that's just going to keep uh, decreasing, I guess that's the, that's the best word to use, uh, the, the stigma of Black people don't go to go to therapy, because we do, it's not a whole lot of it quite yet, because there's so many barriers to it that we haven't even gotten into, but I do think if we continue to open up and talk more, we're going to have more Black people that are that want to be therapists, more Black people that are wanting to go uh, to therapy and and just being able to normalize that conversation. You know, I I hear my clients talk all the time, like we'll be out in public and I'll just be like, oh yeah, there's my therapist. And I'm just kind of like, I can't say anything. That's cool. <laughs> but it, it is cool to see them like, I, yeah, don't, don't have any shame about working on yourself and allowing yourself to heal. I, I love to see that. Like, I think that a lot of it is that well, some of it, well, there, there's plenty of things that play into it, right? Um, and I think another piece of that is that we can be so disconnected from us, our bodies, and how things are showing up, right? Which is a direct result of the trauma and stress and stuff that we experience. Um, and I think that that's huge. Like someone could be you know, having issues like all of a sudden I can't breathe. I mean, now with the conversations rising around mental health, some of these more common things people are now noticing like, oh, that's what that is. Like in tying, oh, me not being able to breathe. Oh, that's anxiety. But like, I think that it's still like this huge lack of knowledge around how this shows up every day or how it shows up in regular terms. And I think that a lot of people because we can still go to work and we can still do certain things and all of that. We're like, oh, I'm fine. And like, we're not, we're so disconnected from our body, not noticing that our heart rate has increased in situations or we are experiencing shallow breathing, not the hyperventilating type, but like, you know, just those subtle changes in our bodies that are happening that are signaling like our stress responses on and all of that. But we're so disconnected from that as a result of the trauma the generational trauma, the current trauma, like all of it, all the cumulative stuff, you know? Um, and I think that that has played a huge part in 
why we don't we don't we don't see why we need to because we actually can't tap into and sense into our bodies and how that feels. I'm so glad that you brought up the physical part of mental health. Um, I think that was also a part of Simone Biles' journey is is um, a lot of folks trying to explain what she means when she says she has the twisties and this idea that the result of her mental um, health is that she can't focus and she loses where she is in the air when she's twisting. So this physical manifestation of, of mental health, and you mentioned a couple um, with breathing and um, heart rate increase. What are some other physical signs of, of that you need to get, you know, check on your mental health? What are some other physical things that folks could be looking for and be like, oh, that's what that is? So one thing that I like to use with my clients is just talking about a stress response versus a relaxation response. And so stress is good, right? It, it pushes us, it helps us. There are times when stress is very good, but if we're constantly operating with, you know, in a state of stress and those stress signals are constantly firing off, then the ultimate thing that will happen is burnout. You know, we're going to not be able to do anything, but within that process too, there's poor decision-making, you know, so she's not maybe able to land things the way that she needs to, because that connection, like Amanda was talking about with what's going on with her body and what's going on with her mind is not there. So she's not able to say like, oh, I'm, you know, going to land this poorly, or my hand placement is not where it needs to be, or I'm starting off too fast or slow, whatever it may be. But um, poor decision making, um, those are kind of some of those mental things. I think um, just negative thoughts, just doubting, low self-esteem, depression, isolation, um, finding yourself maybe um, having panic attacks. I think Amanda said that as well. Um, I mean, there's a numerous amount of physical sensations and things that happen, but those are some of the common ones that I see. And, and I'll, I'll just add and one that immediately came to my mind, and I, I used to see it all the time whenever I worked with children, so like anyone under the age of 15, it's stomach aches, um, you know, because we hold a lot of stress there. And, you know, whenever I would say that to, to parents and administrators, when I work with kids, they're like, they're five years old, what do they have to be stressed about? And I'm like, who, who knows, you know, we don't know what's going through that kid's head. We don't know what messages they're receiving from the adults around them. We don't know what negative thoughts that they may be having. But I also see that with the athletes that I work with, you know, our athletes are generally pretty healthy people just kind of all around and then we start to see these these injuries or these aches and things that you know they're not showing up on MRIs they're not showing up when they go to the doctor and all these things and you know everyone's perplexed and then when we step in and say okay well what if what if it's anxiety you know what if they're dealing with this and to throw that out sometimes is like hmm we need a little bit more evidence. It's not showing up on this, on this scan over here. And so I, I think we're still at the stage of, we still need the physical, you know, MD to sign off and say it's this thing versus understanding that, you know, the mind and the body are all connected. Um, I forget who wrote the book, but the, uh, the body keeps the score. Like that's such an incredible book that I think everyone should read because I think that really 
helps people to understand the link between the mind and the body. Um, but yeah, we, we see injuries all the time. We see the stomach aches. We see passing out, you know, for no reason. We see panic attacks coming out of nowhere, headaches, um, you know, a lot of tension in your shoulders, a lot of tension in your neck. All of that is linked to some type of stressor that, that people are dealing with. Another one I see too, and I don't know, Casey, if you see this, but just like the irritability and anger. I mean, are there ever times where the athletes, you know, just having these outbursts are really short tempered. And a lot of times people will kind of, and even in the black community will kind of just say, oh, that I have anger issues, but really underneath it is anxiety. Like you're fearful of something. And so it's, it's coming out in anger. It, it amazes me to think like the, the reasons we give ourselves that are acceptable, like all to just not say depression, anxiety, trauma, you know, all as, yeah, like you, you just, you just hit that right on the head there. And I, I think, you know, our athletes, they, they do the irritability, but they always say, you know, I'm, I'm moody or I've been really emotional lately. I don't know, like I'm not a crier and I've been crying at everything lately. That's a pretty obvious sign that something is going on. It's just, are we paying attention? Are we connected to ourselves enough to know what that thing is? Okay, so going through this process, I've learned more about mental health and what it is. I recognize that I may have something either through through body or, or um, you know, like you said, the crying or, or the panic attacks, things like that. And so now I'm ready to seek help what are some of the barriers that I'm going to run into most likely in trying to get that help now that I know what it is and I'm trying, I've established that I, you know, I have something and I want help. How, how do I do that? What are some of the barriers I'm probably going to run into? Because that does, you know, unfortunately keep folks from getting help. What I'm seeing a lot of, and there's multiple answers, I'm sure Nicole and Casey hit on some of ones, but like, I think that the, there's just a lot of hesitancy and fear. Like, yes, I'm, I'm seeing something, you know, this is going on, I'm connecting it to, mm, might need to, you know, see somebody, but now I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know about that, you know? And, <laughs> and that's a lot, there's a lot wrapped up in that too. Um, but I, I think that that's a barrier um, that's a huge one. It's it's fear. Am I am I going to be able to go and talk about um, this? Is the person that I'm talking to safe? <laughs> oh, really? Um, that means a lot. Um, and is there hope that things will actually get better? Because a lot of times, a lot of stuff we've been dealing with for a long time, it's just, it's hit a point where it's affecting our functioning in some type of way. And so like, is it actually going to get better? And what do I do? Like, there, it's, it's this fear, I think, that's there. And um, yeah, I'll let the others touch on some other stuff. But yeah, I think that's a huge barrier. And I'll, I'll just add on to the fear. Like, I think there's also a fear of, okay, what if I go to therapy and it doesn't get better? You know, then I've wasted all of this time and money and I'm still in the situation that I was in before. Um, I think cost obviously is a, is a big one. Um, you know, depending on where you are, especially, you know, I think about Arkansas, 
I'm, I'm in Northwest Arkansas right now. I think there's an abundance of therapy options here, which is great. I grew up in rural Arkansas, a town of 5,000 people. And I remember when I had some family members that were ready to seek out therapy, they had to drive an hour away just to, just to see someone, you know? And so I think about most of Arkansas is pretty rural, you know, how close is the closest therapist going to be? And so you got to factor in the cost of that therapy session. Hopefully, if you have insurance, hopefully that covers it, but not all the time. Um, you've got to cover the cost of gas to get there. If you're doing it after work, probably, because most of us are working, you know, then you probably have to get food while you're out or you've got to get extended childcare. So I think, you know, there's a lot to being able to get therapy that's outside of just walking through the door and sitting and talking to someone. You know, there's a, a lot of steps that have to be had before we can even get people to the door. And I think, you know, the 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 industry our careers as a whole we as a whole we have to do a little bit better at making sure that mental health is accessible all around you know we have doctors all around we have traveling doctors and nurses and whatnot we've got to figure out a way to get therapists to these communities that don't generally have therapists in them and and, and I think that's a huge part of like if you don't have a therapist in your community you haven't had someone around doing some community outreach to teach people about mental health, therapy is, is what you see on TV. And that does not look like something I would ever want to attend, you know? So I, I tell people that all the time when they're explaining to me what they think therapy is, I'm like, no, no, no. But let me explain. This is what it looks like when I do it. It may look different when someone else does it. It may look different here. Um, so yeah, that, and I'll just, I'll add this real quick. I think a lot of people, we, we see this a lot. When you have one bad interaction with a clinician, you're like, therapy's not for me. I'm good. I'm, I'm good on it. And I'll always encourage people, you kind of got to shop around. If you have the ability to do so, like the first therapist that you meet with, they may not be the one for you. Maybe it's the second one or maybe it's the third one. And if you're in the position to be able to check out a, a couple of different ones, I think that's a that's awesome, but not everyone has that option. You know, some of us, you know, you've got who you got in your community unless you want to drive an hour away. Yeah, I agree with everything that Casey and Amanda said. Um, also, just the, and I think Amanda kind of hit on this too, just the process of just not knowing what to do. And so a lot of times people will think therapy is a lot like what they see on TV of, I sit in this chair, they ask me questions, I have to have an answer. Um, some may think that I'm probably pretty informal, but I just say I'm really flexible, I work with you, but I'm, I'm one that if you are grading papers, but you're still engaged and focused and we can hit deep things, then I'm good with that. Um, or if you need to get in your car during a lunch break, like I'm fine with that. And I don't think, I think a lot of people think that they need to be in front of their therapist, in the office, you know, attentive, super focused, just making sure that um, almost like school or like a job. And it, I mean, it, you do need to be engaged and you do need to be focused, but at the same time, we want it to be a place where you feel comfortable and you feel at ease and you're not stressed out of everything else that's, you know, you have to meet criteria and meet the standard for. And so 
I see a lot of people just like, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how to do this. I don't know what to do. What's the process? Where did, you know, do I just say what's on my mind today? (laughs) You know, they just, they have no idea what to do. Um, And then the other one is just representation. You know, a lot of, with everything with 2020 brought, um, not being able to find Black therapists in Arkansas, sometimes that's a little difficult. I've had many who have had um, a white therapist and it just, they were like, cannot, they can't relate, this is really difficult. And so we need more Black therapists out there, more people of color to just be able to relate and connect on um, some of those cultural things that really impact our mental health. So we have all of these barriers. What are some, because I'm sure you've probably thought about this and correct me if I'm wrong, but what are some feasible steps that we can take to start, you know, removing some of those barriers? This may sound silly, but Casey, when you were talking about um, shopping around, I had this, this idea of like, can we do like speed dating? Can we get a bunch of therapists in a room and I could spend like five minutes with them to see if I like them or not? Something like that. Um, what are some like feasible steps that people could take to start removing some of these barriers? I think consultations are great. Um, just seeing if if there's therapists that you're looking at and finding, see if they would be open to having a consultation with you and setting up multiple ones. And I think that kind of helps out a lot. And um, I know when I was seeking therapy, um, that's exactly what I did. And I came with my list of questions, things that I already, that I was thinking about um, and concerned about. And I came with them and was just like, here you go. Let me ask you all these questions and see how it goes. And I, I did that with multiple, multiple people. Um, and then I was just like, okay, this person that just fit well with me and the way they were explaining things and talking about things and the vibe was right and the connection was there. And I'm like, all right, I pick you. And so I think that that would be a a real feasible option for people given, you know, time and all of that. (laughs) Yeah, that comes up again. But if it was possible to just schedule out a consultation a week or something or every other week with a different therapist until you figure out which one that you would like to sit down and continue the process with. And I think, you know, Google Psychology Today, like all of those are great resources to be able to like pick what you, what it is that you're dealing with and kind of narrow the therapist down from there. And, you know, I love it when a therapist has like a very detailed bio for people to go in and read before they even call. Because I think that can also help you narrow down versus like, I'm just looking at names on the list. And it's like, all right, Susie sounds not the person for me, but maybe Frank is, you know, I think that's a little bit harder. So I think, you know, using psychology today, Google, um, I know the university here has, I think it's called Thriving Campus, where we list, you know, all the um, therapists in the community and the, the therapists can go in there and say, you know, they can put their availability in, they can put the issues that they're used to working with, um, they put their pictures. So you, if you want a Black woman therapist, you can go through there and say, I want a Black woman therapist. If you want a queer therapist or a queer focused therapist, you can go in there. So I think, you know, I think we still underutilize the the internet for our mental health research. Because I, I, I just think there's not a lot of education about 
how to get connected with the mental health clinician. And I, I think the internet is one of the best tools that we have. Yeah, Psychology Today is a great resource. Checking out the therapist's website. They have a website there. It's going to tell you a little bit about who they are, um, their style of therapy, probably their availability, their price range. They're going to include a lot of different things. Um, and that's on the Psychology Today page too, but they may have a, an additional website that can give you more information, specific areas that they um, like to work with, specific populations that they're good at working with. Um, and consultation calls, like Amanda said, that is a really, really great resource to use too. And then as far as like fees and costs, in like call your insurance, you know, there's a lot of people don't realize that they have mental health benefits. Like they think that there's no way that they're going to be able to afford it, that it's going to be like $400 an hour. And I know um, Blue Cross Blue Shield has been doing a great benefit of waiving co-pays and deductibles. So uh, mental health services have been 100% free for a lot of policies. And um, I think Ambetter, they're one, I have a lot of clients with that insurance that they usually have 100% coverage too. So call your insurance. A lot of times the telehealth benefits are there. Office, I mean, there's lots of benefits with mental health. Um, if you just call your insurance or if the therapist feels comfortable calling your insurance, they can too. And I'll just add to that. Um, you can also reach out directly to therapists to see if any of them offer sliding scale options. Um, and I know that's something that's huge up, there, up here. I, I assume other people do it too, but a lot of therapists do have sliding skills. Um, so it's more so based on your income and kind of what you can pay versus what their set fee is, if your insurance doesn't cover it or if you don't have insurance. As you all have discussed, um you know, hesitancy and, and fear can kind of be that major barrier to picking up the phone or looking on the internet, walking through the door. Um, what piece of advice or encouragement could you offer to someone who is ready to take that first step, but, but is, you know, hesitating? You stumped us. Yeah, I'm like, I saw this question and I was like, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to piggyback off of someone else because I'm really? not sure the best way to say <laughs> I was like, I'm going to wait for that so then I can That do was me. I was like, I'm going to add on. <laughs> so what immediately comes to mind is because of the kind of work that I do. And I'm just like... Okay, you have a fear. And for me, it's like, you know, that's information. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's good for you to attend to, not ignore it. You don't have to um, be driven by it, but just like attend to this information that's coming up and getting really curious about what is this fear? what's even behind it what's if I dig deeper what's there and to have this real curious moment <laughs> with yourself <laughs> that you're really digging into what's there um and that's the only thing that I can come up with <laughs> in regards to what to tell people is is to look into that dig into the fear um 
don't avoid it or anything. Face it. Get curious about it. Um, and I am just a big proponent of working within your capacity, working where you are. And in, in that moment that you're just getting really curious about it and you're just like, absolutely not, I cannot. Okay, listen to yourself. Listen to the information that's being provided to you. Okay, you cannot. Doesn't mean that you won't ever. But right now in that moment, you cannot. And then maybe go a little time and check back in with that fear and see where it is. And see maybe if it has lessened in its intensity and see if there might be a little bit more space for, okay, I can consider it, but I'm still not ready. You know, okay, listen to yourself and allow your body and yourself to go with what it is that's being provided to you, the information that's being provided to you. And maybe one day as you continue to do this, check in with yourself, you're like, okay, I'm fearful, but I'm ready to jump. Okay, do it. You know, so that's <laughs> yeah, my roundabout answer of how would I address fear. Well, I'm I'm gonna use this as my piggyback moment here. <laughs> I think I mean I, I think you like you you were spot on there like just paying attention and starting to even recognize something is wrong, something is is hindering your functioning, is hindering your everyday. I think that is a great first step. And if you're at the point where you're like, I see these things and I see how they're impacting my life, but I'm not quite ready to make the steps to therapy. There's so many great resources online. If you feel like, okay, maybe, maybe this is anxiety or maybe, maybe I don't want to use, use the big A word yet. Maybe, you know, it's stress or maybe it's, it's mood. Like you can literally type into Google, you know, dealing with anxiety or dealing with stress. And there are so many things out there to help you learn how to cope and help you learn how to further figure out if therapy is what you need. But some, sometimes maybe it's just like, okay, we need to, it's been a stressful day and I need to, you know, relax my shoulders and take a deep breath. And maybe that's all you need. But if this has been an ongoing process or ongoing thing, I, I think a quick Google search, especially if you're on like psychology today or something like that, just going through some of the steps that they have on there, I think that's still you trying to take control of your mental health. And maybe you try that out for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And you're like, okay, I feel a little bit better. I, I, I'm getting something from this, but I need more. I think you've already taken that step towards therapy. And I think getting in the door or getting on Zoom is going to be a little bit easier in that case. And, you know, lucky or not lucky, 2020 happened and most therapists are cool with doing telehealth now. I think for a lot of people, like I have some clients, they can come into my office, but they're not very comfortable coming into the office. And so they'll always say, can we do a Zoom session? Yes. If that's where you are, that's where you are. And that's where I'm going to meet you. If that's at least what gets you in the, you know, the virtual door, that's exactly where I'm going to meet you. And so I think if you have that option, start out with Zoom. You know, it's a little, I don't know, it's a little easier, I think, to connect with someone over Zoom or, if, you know, if you don't want to do, I, I allow my clients, if you don't want to turn on your camera, you don't have to turn on your camera, you know, so then it's just me staring at myself, which is fine, I'm comfortable with that, but again, I want them to be most comfortable, and, you know, my hope is that in a couple of months when they feel a little bit more comfortable with me via Zoom, they'll be like, all right, can I come into your office? Definitely, Def well, 
you know, COVID pending, but yes, definitely. <laughs> I love that. That was good, guys. I like that y'all are talking about um, just like meeting the client where they're at. I really, really like that. Um, I, my kind of thing is just like, if you think you need it, you probably do, you know, and, and it's a time that you get to focus on you. Like it's an hour, hour and a half where it's all about you. You get to, you know, just focus on whatever issues you've got going on. Um, and I would also just, my advice would also be just understanding that there will probably be discomfort, but through the process, there will be healing, you know, so it, it will be uneasy. And I think Amanda and KC both talked about early on that it may not get better right away, but continuing to be consistent, there will be some healing um, at the end. And so I feel like that's worth it. Can, can I just add something really quick? This just popped into my head. I think this went, this, I'm taking us back like two or three questions ago. So I apologize. Something that always shocks me, like working at the university is so many staff members and faculty members don't know about EAP, the employee assistance programs. And I come to find out that a lot of companies and organizations have EAP. And what this does is it gives you, I think it's generally somewhere between four to 10 completely free to you sessions with a licensed professional counselor, a psychologist, a licensed social worker, you know, whoever they have in their network. And so that's something that if you are, you know, worried about it financially, or you're just not sure if you want to make that commitment yet, if you, you know, I would check with HR in your, in your jobs and your organizations, just, you know, see if, if mental health therapy is covered under your employee assistance program. Absolutely. So there are resources available and there are folks that we can talk to, to, to see if they apply. Um, any, any final words or any final things that you'd like to share or discuss before we wind things down today? Um, I'm just really proud of um, people just seeking mental health. Like it just excites me so much just to see more people normalizing it and getting the help they need. It's just a wonderful thing to see of just healing and how it like um, Casey talked about just the shift in generation of people being like, I need help, you know, I need to work on um, this or that or whatever it may be. So I'm just, I'm really proud of everybody who's working on their mental health and putting that first. Yeah, indeed, Nicole, like it takes a lot of courage and strength to say, I need help. Um, and to see that being so widespread these days, like same, it excites me. I'm like, yes, yes, you know, take care of you and continue to resist against the system that tells us that we need to put everything, all the systems, <laughs> that we need to put everything in front of us and we need to push through things and all of that, like continue to put yourself first and begin to value that and hold that over everything. I'm right on board with what they said. I, I have nothing to add. Keep, keep dismantling these systems that really aren't working for any of us. And I think if we continue to do that, our society, all of us, black, brown, white, gay, straight, whoever will be in such a better place because the system that we are growing up in and working in and living in, we know they're trash. They've been trash. <laughs> they knew they were trash when they created them. And I think 
yeah, I think these new generations have the courage and the fortitude and the support to to start building some new systems, you know, some systems that really work for, for everybody. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today and sharing some of your time and your expertise with us. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks yeah, for inviting thank us you. on. Yeah, thank you. It's good yeah. to meet y'all. Yeah, it's so nice to meet you guys. Once again, our guests today were Nicole Eckerd from Resilience Therapy in Jonesboro, Casey Cross from the University of Arkansas, and Amanda Robinson from Little Rock Counseling and Wellness. I just want to mention one last thing before we wrap up today. This month marks one year of working on this podcast, and I just want to say thank you to everyone who's made this possible. Thanks to all of our guests who said yes to conversations with strangers, and thanks to our audience for listening and providing feedback. I'm so grateful for everyone's continued support. We've got more great conversations planned in the coming months, and I hope you'll stick around for those. If you've got a good idea for a topic you'd like discussed, feel free to send an email to explore at argotsoul, that's S-O-U-L dot com. You can also reach out to that email if you're interested in being a sponsor of the show. We'd love to have you. To catch up on the last year's worth of episodes, check out our website, argotsoul.com slash affirmative action. You can also listen, subscribe, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. I'm Antoinette Grajeda. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, take care.